Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. Well, good morning, Redemption Hill. I am Bob. I'm one of the elders of our community. Uh, If we haven't gotten a chance to meet yet, Pastor Robert and his family are on a family trip to Boston, and so they are out of town, and uh, you get me. So (laughs) glad to be with you guys today. Uh, We are in the middle of a series on the topic of prayer, trying to help us as a community to grow in our understanding of what prayer is and how it works, how we should think about it. And last week, Matt, not Matty Buckets, but Matt Michalowski, uh, talked to us about petition, about asking God for what we need. And this week, we're we're going to expand on that, but also begin thinking about praying for others and praying for our world. We've been keying in on the structure of prayer that Jesus gave us, what we often call the Lord's Prayer. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Give us today what we need for today. But before we dive in, I I just want to ask you guys two questions. And the first is easy. When it comes to prayer, uh, there are two kinds of people. There are those who find it easier to pray for others than for themselves. And then there are those who have no problem praying about things in their own lives, but they struggle to pray for the world around them. So how about you? When you do pray, do you tend to pray more for yourself or more for others? Who's on the more for myself side? When you pray. Couple, okay. More for others, that side. And many of you just, we don't pray. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. So let me ask another question, and maybe it's a little bit tougher. Whether it's for ourselves or for others, why don't we pray more? One of the reasons why I think we don't pray more is because we are afraid. And I will we'll talk more about that in, the, in a minute. But in the meantime, I want us to look together at a story that Jesus told to make a point about prayer. If you have a Bible... Open it up to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. And if you don't have one, the words will be up here on the screen behind me. Luke 18 says, One day Jesus told his disciples. I love this that Luke has just included the the narration here. He told them uh, a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. 
I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man, and he's speaking about himself here, when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Jesus compares prayer to a widow, a woman who in that day and age had absolutely no means of financial support. For her, there was no other hope. If someone robbed her of her meager savings, she, she was done for. And just imagine how she must have felt. Desperate. Angry. Afraid determined, constantly, frantically pounding on the door of the only one who could save her from the one who was seeking to do her in, just seeking justice, what was right, pounding and pounding and pounding. And now compare that to most of the prayers that we might hear or pray ourselves. God, we pray for all those who are suffering in our world. God, grant me the strength to deal with my parents. God, please take care of me. God, please give me friends. We would do much better to yell our prayers, to beat our chests, to fall flat on our faces and scream, God, do you hear me? Do, do you see what is happening? But that would be undignified. That would be uncool, wouldn't it? To actually admit that we need, that we need deeply. But I don't think that's the real reason why we don't pray the way that Jesus pictures prayer here. There are plenty of times in life when we are happy to appear undignified. Has anyone been to a wedding reception lately? Or watch reality TV? I found myself last night in a place called Cowgirls Kuna. Uh, <laughs> yeah! It was a whole mess of undignified. Yeah! There were swing dancing lessons coming, uh, ongoing, and... and uh, all the men had to rotate around the circle and, and take turns leading, trying to lead in learning swing dance. And I got to disappoint eight women in a row, which is like a new record for me. Um, really, it's not that we're, we're afraid to appear undignified. I just wonder if maybe there's anything that we really feel strongly enough about in this world that would drive us to that kind of prayer. At one point in my life, I was doing an internship as a counselor, and I would sit with multiple people each week in, in different stages of distress, dealing with different problems. And I had a client 
and we will call her Kim um, because that was her name. And, and as I sat listening, she would tell me how things weren't like she wanted them to be in her life. She would have liked to have been financially secure. She uh, would like to have a good job. She wanted to manage a store. That was kind of her goal. But at the time, she was unemployed. She was kind of looking, but not really. And though she had signed up for this computer class, she never seemed to make it. She skipped the first one, and then I think everyone after that. I, I had a lot of clients like that. It was a typical story. They said that they wanted a lot of different things in life, but I had a hard time believing them because it seemed as though they would not act to bring anything they wanted closer to reality. About that same time, uh, I had a, a good friend who really wanted to be married. He was in his 40s, but he was like Mike Myers in So I Married an Axe Murderer. He could go down the list of girls, of women that he'd gone out with once or twice, and he could tell you what was wrong with each one. This one also liked someone else. This one wouldn't give him clear enough signals. This one smelled like soup. That one stole his cat. This one was in the mafia. It was crazy. And eventually it got to the point where he would not even ask anyone out. And so when he said that he wanted to be socially active, but he wouldn't get out there and do something, I and his other male friends around him, we rightly challenged him and said, we don't think, we're not sure that you really want this. And one night as we were talking about this, the truth came out. He did want it, but he didn't want it enough. He was afraid. He was afraid of heartache. He was afraid of rejection. He was afraid of hoping and then being disappointed. And it had happened too many times, and he'd gotten to the point where he'd rather not even try. I'm happy to report that he's married now and doing great. But I think, again, that that story is what a lot of people find themselves in. They really do want the things that they want, but not enough. They want a different life, a better life, but there's a fear there. What if I try my hardest and it doesn't work? What if I get out there and I, I get shot down? Now it's better to stay right here where at least I know the territory, where at least I know what I'm dealing with. And so I think it's the same with us. Why don't we pray like the widow in Jesus' story? Because we don't want anything quite as desperately as that widow. And why don't we want anything quite that desperately? Because we won't let ourselves. Because to want something desperately is to open yourself up to great heartache, to great disappointment. What if I don't get it? We don't pray greatly because we don't desire greatly. And we don't desire greatly because we won't let ourselves. We are afraid to hope. To risk desire is to risk disappointment. And so a life of prayer is a risky thing. 
So we pray easy prayers and we mistake them for mature prayers. God, if it's your will, but only, you know, could you maybe heal so and so? God, if it's your will, would you bring me a husband or a wife or a friend? God, please help the poor. The problem isn't that we want too much. The problem is that we want too little and we want too weakly, both for ourselves and for those around us. And maybe we suspect that deep down inside, that God really couldn't care less. And we'd rather not face that suspicion or the disappointment of of hoping and asking and not having an answer. And so we insulate ourselves with weak desire, small hopes, easy prayers. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Jesus, in his parables, he consistently portrays God as an unjust judge. A friend who won't open the door for his neighbor. A harsh landowner who reaps where he doesn't sow. And in so many of his stories, Jesus uses this device of God as the bad guy. Maybe it's just to get his audience's attention, but maybe it's to put an issue out on the table. To get it out in the open. Maybe he wants to confront us with this deep, abiding, human suspicion that God is not paying attention, that he's not listening, that he really doesn't care. The picture that someone has scrawled on the inside of our hearts is that of a closed door, a deadbolted lock, a light that's been turned off. And yet, God says, if you knock on that door, I will open it. but we're too afraid to test that promise. So when we knock, we knock weakly. So why doesn't God just answer the door on that first knock? Why make it so hard? Is it to test us? Maybe, but I don't think so. I I have a dog, and I sometimes make him do tricks to earn a treat. Because that's kind of how I am. Sit up, shake hands, roll over. Well, he doesn't actually do anything but sit up. But I mean, but shake hands. Yeah, he, he, he never got the rest of it. But when he shakes, okay, here you go. And we might be tempted in reading this story and others that Jesus told and used, as it says, to tell us that we need to pray constantly 
and never give up. We might be tempted to think that God is like the owner who waits for the dog to do the trick or to do enough tricks before he dispenses the treat. I think that would be an inaccurate, inaccurate picture of God. Well, maybe God wants us to pray and to pray and to pray to make sure, like we do with our kids, that, that we really want what we're praying for. That we really care for those for whom we are praying. Maybe. But I tend to think that God wants us to pound and to pound and to pound on that door, not to test how much we really care about that for which we pray, but to make us care for that about which we are praying, to change our hearts and minds towards those around us, towards the world that we are praying for, even towards ourselves. God knows that I will be one kind of person after one prayer. He also knows that I will be an entirely different type of person after 100 prayers. And he wants for me the type of character that comes from caring enough to pray for others, to pray and to pray and to pray, even from caring enough about myself to pray and to pray, and to pray. Richard Foster, in his book, Prayer, put it this way. He said, to pray is to change. This is a great grace. How good of God to provide a path where our, whereby our lives can be taken over by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. To pray is to change. So, do, do we really want the things that we say we want? Do we really need the things that we say we need? I wonder if our prayers show that. Do we really care about our world? About what's happening in the lives of the people around us? about what's happening in the hearts of our families and friends. I wonder if our prayers show that. Jesus' advice, pound on God's door. Bother him morning, noon, and night. As Paul put it later in the New Testament, let your requests be made known to God. Risk, desire, risk, asking. Not just desire for things, but desire to see God's hand in your life. To see the change that we all, we all see needs to happen in the world. Pray bold prayers. Take the chance to care so much for someone that you pray for them. Or look at it a different way. Pray for someone you know you should care more about 
and take the chance that in praying for them, God will cause you to care. Don't wait for God to change you before you pray. Trust that He will change you through your prayers. If you don't care enough to pray, then pray enough to care. And here's a big one. When you don't know how to pray, ask God for that and listen. God, I don't know what your kingdom coming in my neighbor's life would look like. Give me a picture of that and I'll pray. God, I don't know what your kingdom coming would look like in our neighborhood, but give me, give me some idea and I will begin to pray that. God, I don't know what it would look like to bring restoration in this marriage, in this person's physical body. I don't know what you're up to, but I want to listen and then pray. The good news is that God is rescuing and redeeming all of creation through the work of Jesus on our behalf, and we get to join in that rescue, that renewal, that redemption. We get to join in by praying for his kingdom to come in places and in lives of the people around us. We join it by praying, and in praying we become transformed. And in being transformed, we become the kind of people who don't just pray, but also act. Transformed people bring transformation. But it all starts when we pray enough to care. I want to take just a minute as the band comes up and before we come to the table and just ask you to kind of quiet yourself if you want to close your eyes, if you want to look up. But let's just take a moment as the sirens go by. And I want to ask you, how do you tend to picture God? Is he happy? Is he angry? Is he loving? Is he distant? Is he concerned about what is happening in your life and the lives of the people that you care about? Is he harsh? How do you tend to picture him? And how does that color how you approach him? Just take a moment and consider that. And now begin to think. How do you think you would change 
if you began to pray for the people around you, the world around you, more consistently? What would that look like? What would change in you if you began to pray for those around you and the world around you more consistently? Just take a moment and consider. Would you pray with me? God, our problem is not that we come to you and we ask for too much. Our problem is that we rarely come, and when we do, we ask for too little. We're afraid. We're afraid that you might say no. We're afraid that we might care and be disappointed. But God, we know. We know that you are at work. We don't know how. We don't always see it. But we look at the cross and we can come to no other conclusion but that you love us deeply. And so, God, we want to pray the way that Jesus tells us to. To come to you morning, noon, and night. To pound on your door. to care enough to pray, and to pray enough to care. God, as we grow in our prayer, as we take those first tentative steps, putting ourselves out there and asking for the things, for the change, that we want to see in ourselves, in others, in the world. God, would you grow our faith? Would you grow our compassion? Would you make us more like your son Jesus? As we pray, would you change us? And as you change us, would you change this world? It's in his name that we come to you with this. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. 
You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.